Let's take our Bible and turn to the 12th chapter, chapter of Acts. We will start reading in verse number, <clears throat> verse number 1. Acts chapter 12 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him, to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Therefore, uh, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Remember, it was we said it on Wednesday night, there were Two and two for four watches of the night. That's the way we assume that this went. But there, were, there were two that were kept the, the door of the prison. Verse 7, And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird on thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And, he did, and, he, and so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but he thought he saw a vision. When they were past uh, the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the, of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had con considered the, the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda, her name means rose. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. But they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand, with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them, how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for saving our souls, uh, forgiving our sin. Thank you for giving us the gift of eternal life. Thank you for your people and your church here this morning. I pray for your spirit. Lord, you said that, uh, that you would not disappoint. You would answer if we prayed for your spirit. And so, Lord, here now we ask for your, your spirit's presence and help and grace and power as we look at your word that the truths that we see in the scripture would, uh, would be real to us, that we would not hear them with deaf ears, 
but Lord, we would hear them with quickened ears. And uh, please guide me to help your people to know what to say, Lord, whether it be encouragement, whether it be rebuke, whether it be uh, instruction, exhortation, whatever it might, that might be needed, Lord, for each and every person here. Lord, I pray that your word would supply the need and that uh, you would truly meet with us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to concentrate on this morning is verse number 5. Verse number 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now we know 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us God commands us to pray without ceasing. But that's not the only time that that, um, that, that phraseology is used in the Bible. Uh, I'll just look at a couple of passages just kind of illustrate. One is in Romans chapter 1, verse number 9. Uh, also uses that. Paul, In fact, Paul uses it several times in the epistles to describe the way he prayed for people. Chapter uh, 1, verse 9 of Romans says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey to come unto you, by the will, by the will of God to come unto you. So this idea of praying without ceasing, some people have defined it, and I have to say just at the, at the outset that I, I don't agree with this definition. Um, I don't hate you if you say this, but uh, if you thought this, but uh, I don't think that this is what it's referring to. Some people have, de- have de- defined praying without ceasing as living in a state of prayer, living in a, a mindset of prayer. I just don't think the Scriptures bear, bear that out, and I'll, I'll explain why in a minute. But one thing, for, for one reason, is that I, I don't really understand what that means. Uh, maybe it's just above my pay grade, as we say in the, the military. But, uh, but what it means to be in a state of prayer, I don't, really I don't really know what that's referring to. Because what we see in verse 5, I think, illustrates what it does mean. What it does mean is this. That Peter was in prison. The church is concerned and anxious for him. The church is, is, cares for his safety. And so you know what they're doing? They're praying all the time. They're not stopping. Now, that doesn't mean that, that every individual was staying up all night, all day long. We know that this, this uh, holiday, this festival of the unleavened bread was seven days. We don't know when Peter was arrested. We just know he was arrested during the holiday. And so it was several days, but they weren't necessarily staying up, every person staying up all night. Maybe they had an all-night prayer meeting where they were kind of doing the prayer chain kind of thing. And, uh, but here's the point, is to pray without ceasing means that we pray, and it's not that we never, there's not a moment in which we're not praying. It's referring to the fact that our prayers are continual. We're continually asking God to do that thing that is our, our request. We will not stop. We go to Him over and over and over and over again. And you, you imagine in this case, that's exactly what is happening. This, this church is, of course, uh, James was probably not the James who was killed, obviously, but there were, other, another, there were at least two more Jameses uh, that are here. This is probably James, the brother of, of Christ, the, son, the, uh, the brother of, of Judah, who, is, who was Christ's bro- uh, brothers, and uh, the son of Joseph. And they, so Peter wasn't maybe the, 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 the head pastor, if you want to say it like that, or whatever, but Peter was a, a necessary and pillar of the church. 
uh, here in Jerusalem. And so they're, they're praying for him. They care about him. You know what they're doing? They're praying night and day. Just like Paul says, without ceasing, they're not stopping. They're not stopping. They're not stopping. I'll say a little bit more about that in just a minute. One, uh, one writer, Thomas Watson, who's a famous uh, Puritan, we saw the angel. Of course, the angel was sent by God in direct response to their prayer. God heard, God answered, God responded and sent an angel to, to, uh, to free Peter from prison and thereby save his life. But what Thomas Watson said I thought was good. He said this, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. I thought it was pretty good. The difference was prayer. But I want to make a few points from this chapter about prayer and specifically about this kind of unceasing, persistent kind of prayer that the church was involved in. The first thing I want you to see is this. Consider this circumstance. Think about what's happening in the church. This is a serious matter. How do you know this is a serious matter? Peter's in prison. Of course, anytime anybody's in prison, it's a serious matter. But in this case in particular, it's, it's heightened because not only is Peter in prison, but Peter has been put in prison right on the, the, the tail end of James being executed. So they know, and we see it from the book of Acts, that Herod has every intention of putting Peter to death. He sees it pleases the Jews. He's wielding his, we saw on Wednesday night, that kind of political power that he had, that He's trying to, trying to scratch backs and make people happy so they'll like him. And so he's intending on putting Peter to death. And that, I guess that would probably, that would probably heighten your, your prayer life, would it not? You knew that Peter was not just going to be in prison, maybe just get whipped or something like that or pay a fine and be released. No, he, they know that Peter's time is, is limited. And so their prayer life has gotten, gotten rather intent, just like the Bible says, uh, to to do things uh, with instance, be instant in prayer. Well, they're instant. They're, they're urgent in their prayers to Peter because they just saw that James was put to death. But here's the thing I want you to see about that. Knowing this circumstance, we need to remember and understand that prayer is sufficient for the most trivial of matters, as well as the most serious of matters. And I looked at Sister Karen because of what her family's going through, you know, losing a, a sister, a daughter. But you know what? We, we talk about prayer, and, and uh, as, the, as the Bible teaches, sometimes we, we pray about what, what are, in the big picture, relatively speaking, or insignificant things. You know, we have a, like, I woke up this morning, I didn't feel good, right? I, didn't feel, I don't feel all that great right now. Brother Vernon he told me he don't feel, maybe all of us just don't feel good today, right? You know, and so you say, Lord, I just don't feel good. Would you please help me? And that, but that's trivia. That's just insignificant. Just, but you know what? God says to come to him about that, does he not? Does he not? He says it. He says it in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, casting, what's the next word? All your care. So whatever brings you anxiety or trouble or worry, all. How many of you have prayed for something that is really, you know, you know, you acknowledge in the big picture is something of no significance whatsoever. And even if you didn't pray and God didn't come through for you or whatever, it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> but He did. And He helped you. And He did something special for you 
in something that was insignificant. How many of you can say, I, I, I know what that's like? You know what God does when he, when he does it? He reminds us that he's paying attention to the trivia. And he, he cares about those things. And just as a, a child would come to its mother or its father and ask about something insignificant, so the Lord pays attention to the insignificant things in our lives. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. Now, everything, of course, includes everything. That's the trivia, and that's the important things. So we know that God, from those verses and others like it, we know that the Lord pays attention to the minutiae, to the trivia, to the things that don't, that don't in the big picture matter all that much. But within that word all, and then in those two words, everything also includes things like what Sister Karen's family is going through. Loss of a loved one. And in this case, this is a serious matter. You know what? Prayer is not only good for the small things, it's good for the big things. Here's what I mean by that. Whenever you and I are faced with a a substantial, life-altering problem, crisis, thankfully, thank the Lord, we don't face those kinds of problems a great deal. Most of us. Now, we do have great pity and empathy on people because we do know people. All of us know people that it seems like it was just one crisis to another and they could not catch a break. And we feel sorry for people like that. Why? Because we know that that's not our lot, generally speaking, generally. But what we see here is is a serious matter. And those serious matters are matters, listen, it should be instinctive to take those things to God for us. It's not just we go to God whenever we feel like we have no hope or we feel like there's nothing else we can do. Our faith should be greater than that. Our, listen, our relationship to God, our, our fellowship to the Lord should be more intimate than only being in contact with Him when there's a crisis. It should be instinctive. What I mean by that is that's just your default. The first thing you do, what do we read about Nehemiah? Remember, I was going, we're going through it with, uh, in our Bible time in our family. And uh, so the king saw his face was, uh, he was dreary, he was down, right? He was discouraged and it was written on his face. And that's a huge no-no when you're standing before the king of the known world. The, uh, a position we were talking about our, uh, with our kids, a position that was the, uh, among the highest honors to be near the king. I mean, to, to show a sad face when you're in the presence of the king is an absolute insult because people don't get that opportunity and that honor. And here Nehemiah is sad because of what's going on in Jerusalem, right? You all remember that story. And the king said, well, basically, what's wrong with you? This, you're not sick. This sorrow of heart, what's going on? What's wrong with you? And at that moment, you know, all the color left his body. He went pale. He froze. And what did the Bible say? He prayed to the God of heaven. You know, basically he's looking at, I mean, he thought at that moment, he thought, I'm, I'm dead. I should have paid attention to what my facial expression was better than this. He, said, he thought, I'm dead. But what did he do when he thought, I'm dead? Instinctive. Turn straight to God. That's what this church is doing. This is a serious matter. This is a serious matter. Proven by what Herod did to James. They know this is a big deal. Peter, listen now, Peter will die. 
He will be put to death. Just Herod has already proven he's got the will to do it. He will do it. Peter will die if God doesn't actually answer. Now, I'm going to say some things that might come across a little bit mean, but I think we need to, I think we need to get, this, get this straight. So, listen, so much of, of our faith is, is built upon these kind of feel-good doctrines about scriptural topics that, you know, that aren't really, aren't really all that biblical, but it makes us feel good about it. And, you know, everybody kind of repeats them and it's not, and, you know, it makes us feel good. But so I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to poke those things a little bit. Here's the thing I want you to see about this is that prayer is often spoken of as, as a remedy itself. Now, here's what I mean by that. I want to make sure everybody understands what I'm saying. People say things like the power of prayer, right? The power of prayer. And, and in other words, you know, you're, you're discouraged, you feel down, and so, you know, you need to be involved in the power of prayer. In other words, it's like sending good thoughts to somebody, sort of. You know, I'm gonna, I'll send you good thoughts. It's like, what does that even mean? I'll send you good thoughts. Listen, when I pray for you, when Brother Stewart, I know he prays for you, he tells me, when you pray for one another, we're not lobbing thoughts to one another. We are actually asking God to do something. That's the difference between just there's power in prayer and the kind of feel-good uh, self-help version of prayer that is passed around in our society. It's, prayer is often like it's, it's like a it's like a remedy sort of. It's like a it's like a kind of therapy. When we, when we feel bad or, or uh, you know, we feel discouraged about a situation or whatever, we pray as a way to kind of soothe the wounds of life, like a, kind of like meditation. Other people that maybe not be from a Christian background would use meditation or something like that. And, and let me say, from the, we know that prayer is a comfort to us. We're going to see a verse that actually says it. Praying to God is a comfort. But the mere act of prayer is not about, is not about us and the way we feel. Prayer is not only a means whereby we get comfort, which is like an exercise just to soothe our own souls. Listen, prayer is about God. That's the key I want you to understand. Prayer is about God. It's not about us. We have a secondary benefit from from praying to God, but really the focus of prayer is not us, but God himself. That's why we pray, because we are making a connection and communicating to the God of heaven. Now, let me ask you a question. If we pray to the God of heaven, but for some reason, God doesn't hear us, but we feel better about ourselves or better about the situation, what, what profit is that? It's a therapy. You see what I'm saying? If God doesn't hear, hear us, if He doesn't answer us, then our prayer is vain, regardless of how it makes us feel. Again, we're not talking about our feelings. Listen, if prayer is just about how, you know, we, we, it's an exercise we go through because it, we want to make, our, make ourselves feel better in a particular situation, that's, that's kind of atheistic. If it doesn't matter that we actually connect with God, that's, 
That's just any kind of mental exercise. What, we just do something to feel better. But listen, when we pray, think about these people. When they were praying, were they just trying to feel better about the fact that their leader was in prison? No! They were trying to get to God. That's a big difference. It wasn't about the way they felt. It's about getting to the throne and getting the Lord to respond. And that's what it's about. You know, even when we're burdened, like Sister Karen and their family's burdened, they go to God and they say, God, I'm hurting, right? My heart hurts. You're still, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not hoping that that prayer makes you feel better. You're hoping God makes you feel better, right? You're hoping the Lord's going to send something to you to comfort you. It's about Him. It's about Him. But as I said, people say things like uh, the power of prayer, but really it's not about the prayer doesn't, it, prayer standing alone has no power. Prayer, you know, there are people that pray in this world. There are people that pray to God. There are people that pray to Jesus this world over. And God's not listening. He said, that's mean. That's what the Bible says. God turns his ear away from some prayers. If someone prays to God, the true God, but they do not pray through Jesus Christ without acknowledging the Son, God is not listening. Now, they might walk away and say, I feel better. What doth it profit? It's useless. It falls down to the ground. They might feel better about it, but it has done nothing for them. Prayer is So the power is not in prayer. Prayer is standing alone without God himself. The person of God, it's just, it's just empty. It's smoke and mirrors. We should say, not the power of prayer, but the power of God in response to prayer. It's about God. It's about the Lord. That's what it's about. Prayer that is disconnected from God is vain. But listen now. This is the kind, the kind of prayer I'm trying to describe here is the kind of prayer that people like. You know why? Because it has no real relationship to God. It makes them feel better. And there's, so there's no real need for them to deal with God himself and the breach in their relationship to him and their, the fact of their life is a living rebellion to God. So they don't have to deal with God himself. They don't have to deal with his word, his law, their life. They don't have to deal with any of that. They pray for the way it makes them feel, and that's it. And it just falls down. It's like an arrow, and it just falls down. Listen. One thing prayer does to us is because we're approaching God, and it's about Him and not about the words we're saying and not about the way it makes us feel. We're approaching God. Prayer is, prayer is part of its design is to make us, that's why in the model prayer, what did the Lord say? Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins, our trespasses. You know why? We have to deal with our relationship to God before that works. In other words, prayer itself, we go to God, we're burdened, but we can't just go to God any old way because it makes us feel good. We go to Him with that burden. And that burden drives us to him, but being driven to him, we have to deal with God, <laughs> right? If we're living in rebellion to God. We got to deal with that fact. If we're living in a way that, in, in, uh, that there's a breach in our relationship to him, we have to deal with that fact. We can't run away from it. We, can't, we can tell ourselves nice little things, but ultimately it's about the Lord and our relationship to him. And we, we know that prayer only works 
If I regard iniquity in my heart, God, the Lord will not hear me. So we know it, it affects our relationship to the Lord. We can pray for prayer's sake and feel better about it. But if prayer is, and it should be, about speaking to and getting a response from God, it means we must deal with God Himself, and that means we must deal with where we stand before Him, period. Think about this, verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Peter's in prison. He's on death row. He's going to die as soon as this this, uh, holiday is over. If this group merely prayed because they felt really sad and they wanted to feel better about the situation, but their prayer did not actually get to God, how is that going to help Peter? If God doesn't respond, actually respond to their prayer, how's Peter going to be helped? He's not. He's going to die. You see what I'm saying? It's about connecting with the Lord Himself. Now, we know God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we pray. Probably half the time He doesn't because we're praying wrongly. (laughs) But we know that's not... We don't pray necessarily to get, get the answer that we ask for, although we hope for that. We try to pray in the will of God. But ultimately, if God, if something is not God's will, he's not going to give it to us because he's, he's wiser than that. So we trust him. Look at Luke 22 real quick. This is a good example because Jesus tells, tells uh, Peter that he's praying for him. And I, do, I know that Jesus, we categorize him differently, but as our example, he's our example of prayer. Luke 22, verse 31, the Bible says this. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Now stop. If the devil got Peter and sifted him and Peter's faith failed. Look what he says in the next verse. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now stop. If Peter's faith did actually fail, what would have been the result? In other words, the Lord says, Satan's trying to get you, and I'm praying for you, that your faith fail not. All right, but say the Lord's praying, and he's just praying for the way it makes him feel, and it wasn't about actually helping and protecting Peter. You know what happened? Peter, Peter's faith would fail. What would be the result of that? What would be the outcome? You know, you think of Christian history, the Word of God that Peter wrote, all those different things, the, the, the downstream effects of Peter's faith failing. That's a serious matter. Here's what I want you to understand. What I'm talking about is this was an important matter, and there are things in your life and there are things in my life. We think of praying for our children We think of praying for souls that are yet without God, lost, unbelievers, in sin. We think of praying for guidance to know uh, what the will of God is for us, whether we should move to another place or take another job or marry a certain person. You know what? These are serious matters. You know why? Because they have downstream effects. You marry the wrong person, Listen, you marry the wrong person, you go the wrong place, you chase the wrong thing. Think of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Remember, he looked at Sodom. He saw a well-watered plain. He looked that direction, and, and all he could think of, all he saw was dollar signs. He's, he just lusted. He coveted the, th- the things he could have from that, from that area to enhance his life. And we're, we're, Think about all the downstream effects. He ended up in Sodom. He destroyed his own testimony, his own morality, destroyed his family. And now, now you have Ammon and Moab, who are the children of, of the incestuous children of, of, of Lot and his, and his daughters. And they're going to plague Israel for generations and generations. Why? 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 Because his faith failed. You see? Think of pe- people that will die without God. They will go to hell. They will perish. That's a serious matter. It's a matter for prayer. And if, listen... Again, if prayer is all about making us feel good, making us feel better about a situation and not about actually reaching the Lord on behalf of our lost loved one, on behalf of our children, that they would go the right way and follow God. If it's not really about that, then I'm telling you, turmoil and destruction is going to follow because we really, this is a serious matter. We really do need our kids to walk uprightly and follow God. We really do need our family and friends to be saved. We really do need to make the wise decisions and follow God with all our heart. These things matter. They matter in generations and whole families. I could give examples of my own family, all the effects of decisions that have rippled down through our, our family's generations. Why? Because maybe that matter wasn't taken to God in prayer. Didn't get the right answer. Didn't get the answer because we didn't have the faith we needed to pray to get that answer. Here's the point. They really needed God to hear an answer for Peter. It wasn't about them. It was about God. second thing I want you to see is this. Prayer requires faith in God. I feel like the word faith is just, its meaning has been totally obliterated here recently. I mean, the way it's used. Faith always seems to be boiled down to, oh, I believe God exists. But when we talk about praying in faith, we're not talking about praying and believing God exists. That's kind of a given. We're praying in faith. We're talking about believing and trusting in God that He is hearing and that he will respond. It's not about God being there. Remember Hebrews chapter 6, chapter 11 verse 6 says what? But without faith it is impossible possible to please him for he that cometh to God must what? Believe that he is, but that's not it. And he that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So it's not just about believing in the existence of God. It's about trusting and, and, and knowing, being confident that God will hear and respond. Our prayer, our prayer doesn't work, but that God hears it and God will respond. That's what it means to pray in faith. This church had faith in God. Notice back in Acts chapter 11, verse 5, The very fact that they're praying in a hopeless situation indicates that they have faith. The very fact that they're praying without ceasing indicates their faith. We'll see more about that in just a minute. James 1 verse 6 says this, On the subject of asking, praying to God for wisdom, the Bible says, But let, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Right? What's the next verse say? But let 
him ask in faith. You know what? If a person doesn't ask in faith, he says, that person should not be in the delusion that God's going to respond. Faith is required. Faith is required to, in, in prayer. This church believed that their prayer mattered. Now, let me stop here a second. There's this idea that floats around called determinism. And this, this idea, I, I was talking to Brother Ari about it uh, on uh, yesterday. And there are, there are people that believe and teach that God determines all things that happen. That God, anything, anything that is done by anybody in the universe, God did it. God determined it. Yeah. It's called determinism. But here's what I want you to understand. And so when you look at, when you look at the, the idea of prayer, and we could say we could, just, we could just dismiss it. We could say, well, you know, what will be, will be. And people do that with this kind of deterministic idea that floats around in our head. Well, I mean, if God wills it, that's what will happen. Did you know there are times in the Bible where God determines to do something and then he changes his mind because people prayed. Now we know that we know that from God's perspective, the Bible says that the works of God are finished from the foundation of the world. Known unto God are his works. Before, I mean, we know that God knows all of that, but we don't know all of that. And we would be foolish to look at that and say, well, God knows, you know. But see, prayer is a perfect example of something where I don't, I don't know that you could say we change God's mind or what, however you want to say it, but here's the thing. There are times in the Scripture when God determines something and then Abraham intervenes. He was going to destroy Sodom and Abraham intervenes and God didn't. You think of Jonah. You think of, you think of all these different times that the Lord determined something and then people prayed and then God responded. Prayer is not just like, well, you know. But, but, but if our faith is built on this idea that, well, you know, God, everything that happens in the world, God does, so, you know. No, 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 no. These people didn't believe that. If that was the case, they'd say, well, Peter, yeah. If God wants him out, he'll be out. No, they wanted God to do something, you see. They wanted God to, to intervene and to act on, on Peter's behalf. I don't know if you could say they wanted God to change his mind, but they definitely wanted God to act. From their perspective, their prayer mattered. That's the essence of what it means to have faith when you pray. It's not this like feel good, well, I have faith. Whatever that means, faith has an object. God is the object, right? So when we pray in faith, God is our object, and we believe that our prayer is heard, that God will respond, and that it matters to him. Prayer requires faith in God. Number three, our persistence in prayer. Remember, pray without ceasing. Our persistence in prayer is a function of our faith in God. Here's what I mean by that. When our, when our faith fails, our prayer fails. When our faith fails, our prayer fails. Look at a couple of passages. Mark chapter 11, if you would. I want you to see this connection. Mark 11, verse number 22. 
Bible says, the Lord starts out right, right from, the, from the beginning. And Jesus answering saith unto, unto them, have faith in God. All right, so that's what he's talking about. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and, sh and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things, notice the character, shall believe that those things. So we're not talking about faith in God's existence. We're talking about faith that God hears and answers our prayer because we're praying to the true God. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now stop. Now we think of this as this kind of name it and claim it kind of stuff. We read that and we're like, oh, these guys are like, well, you know, you just, what, what is the term my wife used? Uh, manifestation. How many of you have heard that? That's a, that's a term, terminology. Brother David, of course, Brother David's like the only person that knows what it's talking about. Basically, it's name it and claim it. It's in essence, you, if you think it, it'll happen kind of thing. This is not what this is talking about. How do we know? Look at the next verse. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye what? Pray. That's the means. So verse number 23 is set in that context of prayer. What sort of things ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. You see that? In prayer, faith. Look at Luke 18. Luke chapter 18. Verse 1. The Bible says this, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. You know what that means? Quit. But notice it doesn't say quit, it says faint. In other words, you were trying, but you just fell out. In other words, you were, you were praying and, and you believed and you really were asking God for something. You, had, you believed that God was going to hear you, and, and, but it just it ran out. It's like, a, it's like on a run, you know? It's like on a run. You, know, you set out and then you, you know, it's, you're going on the 10-mile run and you only get you know, six or seven miles and you realize this ain't working and you faint, you quit. But in this case, the fainting came from faith. Faith's fainting. Verse 2, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. You see that? This is prayer without ceasing. It's not that the lady was, at, it was in the judge's office repeating something over and over and over and over and over and over. No, no. It's every day, every day, every day she was there, nagging that man to death, nagging that man to death. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. But that moment this widow lady lost faith that the judge would respond is the moment she stopped going. The connection between persistence and prayer and faith. Now notice what the Lord says in verse 6. Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto them, though he bear long with them? Now notice verse 8. Here's the key. I tell you, that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. 
Why did the Lord say, keep going, keep coming to God? That's the example. This widow is her faith. It matters. He will answer. I'm going to keep coming until he does. So persistence in prayer is a function of our faith in God. If, if our faith is high, we will continue to pray. We will not stop. We will pray without ceasing. That's what this church is doing in Acts 12. Praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing. Lord, I believe you hear me. You are going to answer. Now we have to submit to his answer. We have to submit to him and say, Lord, your will be done. Ultimately, you are the one who knows whether this thing should be as according, according to the way I pray or not. And we, are, we have all experienced, every one of us that has prayed for any length of time, knows what it's like to really have something in your heart that you want God to do, and God does not want to do that. And He doesn't. And you know, we, we kind of go away from that, and sometimes we feel sad and disillusioned a little bit, but what does God teach us from that? I know best. But we still go to Him. Sometimes we quit praying. We quit praying for that loved one. We quit praying for our children, our grandchildren. We quit praying for that serious and important matter that takes, you know, this is one of those things that's over a long period of time where that faith is really tested. Faith is not tested in the immediate things. Faith is tested over the long haul. But see, at that point is when our faith is put to the test. And how strong is it? Because when the moment we faint, shows where our faith has fainted, right there. The moment we quit is when our faith has fainted. Last thing I want you to see back in Acts 11 is this. We must pray, Acts 12, I'm sorry. We must pray until God answers. Look at verse 12. Peter's freed from the, by the angel. Verse 12 says, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Here's what I want you to see. Notice that. When the answer came, what was the church doing? It was praying. You see, they, they had not stopped. <laughs> and the answer came knocking at the door. While they were praying, God was working. They didn't know God was working. They didn't, they didn't really even believe that God had done it when Peter was knocking at the door. But whether they knew it or not, God was already working. That's the comfort we have. God was already answering before they saw a visible answer. You see this? Angel's already sent. Peter's already on his way, trying to wind his way through the streets in the, in the dark, trying to find this house. They're praying, but God's already answered. It's already there. He's already heard. And the Lord's answer interrupted their prayer of faith. They did not stop. And that's, you know, when, when you're praying without ceasing on something, and you're praying, you're going to God over and over and over, God's answer should interrupt that prayer. <laughs> and you even have verse 16. Notice what it says. You have a, a ready-made illustration of this truth. Verse 16 says, But Peter continued knocking. <laughs> So here is Peter, as an illustration of prayer, is standing at the door at the prayer meeting, knocking at the door because they won't answer, which is itself an illustration of prayer. In Luke 11, 
Luke 11 actually says that very thing. I'll turn to it real quick and just read it. Luke 11, verse 5. Which of you shall have a friend which shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he, though he will not rise and give him because, his, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock. That's what Peter's doing, right? At that door. And it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Stop, stop, stop. He says, if you're knocking, it'll be opened. If you're knocking, it'll be opened. But what if you stop? The Lord says he, the, the knock will be answered. What if Peter had knocked just a couple times, they didn't come to the door, and then he left? Would that door ever been opened to him? No. So he kept knocking. That's what he's doing. That's what the Lord says. Keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Do you not believe? Verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Where is your faith that God will give the thing you're asking? Because where the faith fails, the prayer fails. Importunity. The quality of being persistent or pressing in making requests, demands, or offers. So as to cause irritation or distress. The Greek word behind this word importunity, it's a combination of the word no and shame. Shamelessly irritating and bothering the Lord. You know, I'm joking, of course, but going to God shamelessly over and over and over until He answers. We must pray until God answers. That's the prayer of faith. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. When the answer comes, we ought to be praying. Now, to close, I just want to ask you a question. Is there something in your life that you've stopped praying about? You just quit, giving up. You haven't gotten the answer you'd hoped for, and so you just quit. I'm glad these, this church didn't do that. Otherwise, Peter might have died. But you know what? If that's the case, what's happened is the diagnosis is that your faith has faltered. My faith has faltered. The moment we stop, our faith has faltered. It is our faith that drives us to keep going to God until we get the answer or until he says no or until that matter is no longer a matter that, should, that needs to be prayed about at all. Our faith keeps us going our faith in God. It's not about us, it's about Him. It's about connecting with Him, seeing Him answer. You know, sometimes the Lord tests our faith and He, he makes us wait. He, he has commanded us to pray without ceasing. That means, that tells us very, very plainly there are going to be times when He doesn't answer immediately. <laughs> and in fact, would most of you agree, most of your prayers are answered not immediately. Right? Most of them, it's over a period of time. 
You know what? That builds your faith. It builds your faith. Let's pray.